Section 20 of Mark Twain's Autobiography, Volume 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by John Greenman. Friday, February 23, 1906. Mr. Clemens tells how he became a businessman. During the previous year, or year and a half, Mr. Langdon had suffered some severe losses through a relative, an annex of the family by marriage, who had paved Memphis, Tennessee, with the wooden pavement so popular in that day. He had done this as Mr. Langdon's agent. Well managed, the contract would have yielded a sufficient profit, but through mismanagement it had merely yielded a large loss. With Mr. Langdon alive this loss was not a matter of consequence and could not cripple the business, but with Mr. Langdon's brain and hand and credit and high character removed it was another matter. He was a dealer in anthracite coal. He sold this coal over a stretch of country extending as far as Chicago, and he had important branches of his business in a number of cities. His agents were usually considerably in debt to him, and he was correspondingly in debt to the owners of the mines. His death left three young men in charge of the business, young Charlie Langdon, Theodore Crane, and Mr. Slee. He had recently made them partners in the business, by gift, but they were unknown. The business world knew J. Langdon, a name that was a power, but these three young men were ciphers, without a unit. Slee turned out afterward to be a very able man, and a most capable and persuasive negotiator but at the time that I speak of, his qualities were quite unknown. Mr. Langdon had trained him, and he was well equipped for his headship of the little firm. Theodore Crane was competent in his line, that of head clerk and superintendent of the subordinate clerks. No better man could have been found for that place, but his capacities were limited to that position. He was good and upright and indestructibly honest and honorable, but he had neither desire nor ambition to be anything above chief clerk. He was much too timid for larger work or larger responsibilities. Young Charlie was twenty-one, and not any older than his age. That is to say, he was a boy. A careful statement of Mr. Langdon's affairs showed that the assets were worth $800,000, and that against them was merely the ordinary obligations of the business, bills aggregating perhaps $300,000, possibly 400000 would have to be paid, half in about a month, the other half in about two months. The collections to meet these obligations would come in further along. With Mr. Langdon alive, these debts could be no embarrassment. 
he could go to the bank in the town or in new york and borrow the money without any trouble but these boys couldn't do that they could get one hundred and fifty thousand dollars cash at once but that was all it was mr langdon's life insurance it was paid promptly but it could not go far that is it could not go far enough it did not fall short much in fact only fifty thousand dollars but where to get the fifty thousand dollars was a puzzle they wrote to mr henry w sage of ithaca an old and warm friend and former business partner of mr langdon and begged him to come to elmira and give them advice and help he replied that he would come then to my consternation the young firm appointed me to do the negotiating with him it was like asking me to calculate an eclipse i had no idea of how to begin nor what to say but they brought the big balance sheet to the house and sat down with me in the library and explained and explained and explained until at last i did get a fairly clear idea of what i must say to mr sage when mr sage came he and i went to the library to examine that balance sheet and the firm waited and trembled in some other part of the house when i got through explaining the situation to mr sage i got struck by lightning again that is to say he furnished me a fresh astonishment he was a man with a straight mouth and a wonderfully firm jaw he was the kind of man who puts his whole mind on a thing and keeps that kind of a mouth shut and locked all the way through while the other man states the case on this occasion i should have been grateful for some slight indication from him during my long explanation which might indicate that i was making at least some kind of an impression upon him favorable or unfavorable but he kept my heart on the strain all the way through and i never could catch any hint of what was passing through his mind but at the finish he spoke out with that robust decision which was a part of his character and said mr clemens you've got as clear a business head on your shoulders as i have come in contact with for years what are you an author for you ought to be a business man i knew better but it was not diplomatic to say so and i didn't then he said all you boys need is my note for fifty thousand dollars at three months handed in at the bank and with that support you will not need the money if it shall be necessary to extend the note tell mr arnott it will be extended the business is all right go ahead with it and have no fears it is my opinion that this note will come back to me without your having extracted a dollar from it 
at the end of the three months. It happened, just as he had said, old Mr. Arnott, the Scotch banker, a very rich and very careful man and lifelong friend of Mr. Langdon, watched the young firm and advised it out of his rich store of commercial wisdom, and at the end of three months the firm was an established and growing concern, and the note was sent back to Mr. Sage without our having needed to extract anything from it. It was a small piece of paper, insignificant in its dimensions, insignificant in the sum which it represented, but formidable was its influence, and formidable was its power, because of the man who stood behind it. The Sages and the Twitchells were very intimate. One or two years later, Mr. Sage came to Hartford on a visit to Joe, and as soon as he had gone away, Twitchell rushed over to our house, eager to tell me something, something which had astonished him, and which he believed would astonish me. He said, Why, Mark, you know, Mr. Sage, one of the best businessmen in America, says that you have quite extraordinary business talents. Again, I didn't deny it. I would not have had that superstition dissipated for anything. It supplied a long-felt want. We are always more anxious to be distinguished for a talent which we do not possess than to be praised for the fifteen which we do possess. End of section 20, Friday, February 23rd, 1906.